Welcome to Cheers to Leaving. I'm Rachel. And I'm Molly. And we have some cool guests today. Yeah, we're doing a crossover with Brian and Troy from I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. We are so excited to have them here today. And um, we're going to jump right into it. We're gonna well, just it. to like preface this, there this is part two of a two-part series. So if you want to listen to part one, go over to their podcast, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, to get the first part of this crossover uh, two-episode episode, episode, I guess. (laughs) They interviewed us. Yes. Yes. Listen to all their episodes. They're hilarious. Um, They're very dry. They come from the other side of the world. Um, (laughs) These dudes are in Australia. So is it Sunday morning for you now? It is Sunday morning and we've had to miss church just because of this you guys. So feel church. privileged. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. We're doing church right now. We are yeah. in community. We are doing church. As us house church babies would say, this is church. Yeah, this is church. But we, if you stay home, <laughs> then you get to save 10%. So it's cool. Yeah, right. but we tithed in our right. house churches. We took collections. So I don't know yeah. about all of that. Anyway, yeah, spirit-led collections. <laughs> I'm being led by the spirit <laughs> <laughs> to take your money. <laughs> Well, I don't know how you want to do this, but I I definitely would like to hear a little bit about Brian's story and a little bit about Troy's story. So who's eager to go first? All right, Brian, Troy. That? Brian, oh, Brian's Troy. pointing okay, at me. He was, but... he was pointing up. I didn't know. I was pointing, okay. pointing to the Lord. But I've, to um, the Lord. I've got a coffee, so Troy can start and then I'll jump in later. All yeah, right. cool. Okay. Try. Try. okay. Give us a little, give like a little blip background about like who you are and like how you were indoctrinated oh, and okay, like sure. a little bit about where you're at now. Okay. So my name's Troy. I turned 52 last Sunday, which was Shut cool. Up. Yeah. My kids don't listen to my podcast and neither does my wife because they have never been religious, but I got sucked into, and I use that term properly. I got sucked into a Pentecostal cult at the age of 13, went to church camp, um, got, you know, tongue talking and the whole bit and came home and told my parents that they were damned and never going to heaven unless they accepted Christ and also spoke in tongues as we did. Cause we were a tongues only cult that, you know, like you have to speak in tongues or you're not saved. So that totally rules you out, Molly. You weren't even partly a yeah. Christian. No, <laughs> not at all. We had a sign that we weren't going to speak in tongues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And we, we had to sign that we did. So I, I was involved in that, but that was really super culty. Like even beyond evangelicalism, like this was super, super culty. And so when I got to about 17, which is interesting when we we're talking about you guys getting to that age where you sort of go, is this true or not? I got to about 17 and realized this is bullshit. And so I got myself kicked out of the cult. I had this whole plan of how I was going to get myself kicked out. And you can go back and listen to our podcast and get all the details of that. But it wasn't that they, they had it all sewn up, right? There wasn't an easy way to leave. And so they told me I was doomed forever and I was going to burn in hell. And so I left and it was just horrible. And I was just my own self at 17 years old. And this is in the eighties, by the way. And I was just a mess. And so I floated around barely past my high school and floated around for a while and then 
realized that I had to get myself right with God. And so I ended up back in sort of more mainstream Pentecostalism. You've probably heard of the Assemblies of God. Got involved with the Assemblies of God in a massive way. That's where I met Brian. We were we were friends and got married, went to Bible college, became a pastor for a while, then walked away from the Assemblies of God and went sort of more mainstream evangelical, you know, walked away from tongues, came back to the truth, Molly. It was all cool. And then eventually I hit an emotional wall where it all just caught up with me one day and I'd started deconstructing. I think, Rachel, you talked about you started deconstructing before you knew what you were doing. And definitely, I think when I joined the AOG was the day I started leaving the AOG kind of thing. And, and yeah, and then all that deconstruction and trauma and all that that you guys talk about on your podcast totally have the the Troy version of all that. And so during lockdown, we were the most lockdown city in the world, being Melbourne, Australia. And during lockdown, I reached out to Brian because I've been listening to some deconstruction podcasts. And I said, let's do this. You know, we, we didn't get to do this. And he's like, okay, so we have a podcast. I was a teenage fundamentalist. That's my story in a nutshell. It's so funny that you had to figure out a way on how to get kicked out of your church. Like Rachel and I did the very gentle, like drifting away. Like we're suddenly not going to service anymore. anymore. Yeah. It's just like, it was like a very gentle, slow thing where you had to like come up with a scheme in order to get kicked out of the cult. And then you went from that cult to another cult. And then from that cult to another cult, you were cult hopping. That's right. I was cult cult, cult hopping. And the other thing about our church, though, is the reason why we couldn't float away is because they would chase you up. Where were you? Why aren't you at this meeting? Why weren't you at that meeting? It was super cult. Yeah, it was like Jehovah's Witnesses who speak in tongues. And then if you did get kicked out, they shunned you and completely cut you off. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. That's really, and it really was rough. Easy ways to do it. And and Troy, as, as a sneak peek into the episode where you do talk about this, the only way Troy could do it was have sex outside of marriage. So yeah. he, nice. he planned so, it. Yeah. He became so a, a whore, of, a dirty mm, whore. <laughs> dirty whore for Jesus. So a bit of chitty, chitty, like, bang, bang, and it was all over. Yeah. <laughs> I, rang, I rang my pastor and said, hey, um, I've had sex with someone. And uh, he said, great, see you in hell. So was that the first time you had had sex? Uh, with someone else, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not talking about yourself. But like, so, so you were a virgin up until that point when you wanted to get kicked out of the cult. So you went yeah. and had sex. Yeah. Fascinating. I did that to get kicked out of my home. I didn't do that to get kicked out of the cult, just to get kicked out of my home. <laughs> but didn't you go to home church? Wasn't that the same thing? Uh, yeah, in a sense. Um, <laughs> by the time I was like an adult, though, and I was like having sex and stuff, uh, once my parents found out, they're like, yeah, you can't live here. <laughs> You're out. <laughs> Yeah, that was a huge yeah. like thing with evangelical yeah. parents. Yeah, if you had sex uh, outside of marriage, you could not live in their home anymore. Mm-hmm. You could still go to church. You were more than welcome in church. You need to go repent and and be saved again. But um, change your ways. Yeah. Be what? What does your mom say, Rachel? That you can like you can be pure again. Like she used to say that. Like oh, you can find purity again. again. Yeah, born again virgin. My mom yeah. is a proclaimed born again virgin. So. Yeah. Yeah, we had that okay, one, Karen. the born again virgin. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay, so that's universal. my story. Brian, we want to blip. Tell us a little bit about you. 
a blip. Well, I was I was slightly different. I didn't I wasn't brought up in a Christian home at all. Um, a very spiritual home, so it was um, definitely not Christianity. I come from a large family. Everyone was sort of you know on that spiritual edge. But when I was seventeen, my two of my brothers at that time had become flag waving mental Pentecostals. Like it was, but they lived in another state in Australia. And I went up to visit them on holidays, and they convinced me that it was the best thing to do was become one of these nutters. So I did that, and I got converted while I was on holidays, and then came back home and it was a weird time like I sort of bumped around and there was all this you know you've got to you've got to tell people your story you've got to evangelize them you've got to tell but the only way I had confidence to do it was just get drunk so I'd get drunk and then start witnessing to friends so it was it was the best thing drunk for Jesus and that's amazing well because I just and I think you know we've unpacked this a fair bit on our podcast I'm not quite sure I ever was a hundred percent convinced when I when I look back at on it, I, I just go, I was a really shit Christian, <laughs> like one of the worst. Um, so, dude, if but, you had to get drunk to evangelize, you were you didn't believe it. <laughs> you were in right. it for real. Um, honestly, though, I could relate. Like, I I never actually got drunk 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 to evangelize, but I feel like I would need to at this point in my life. To go yeah. Well, to well yeah, because we're weird. We're not into it anymore. We don't buy into well, it anymore. Well, not even that. Like, I really, I just need to be drunk to talk to people. Period. Socializing is hard. Socializing is hard, especially in this day and age of all online stuff. Like, can relate. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that Rachel's just confirmed she's drunk to talk to us. So that, and that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're totally she's, accepting of that. She's drinking. A lot of the times we've recorded, it's called cheers to leaving. We're cheering our drinks. Yeah, we're <laughs> fucking cheersing. What else am I supposed to do? Have you? We have Thirsty Thursdays where we get super drunk and play drinking games all about, like, growing up fundamentalists. <laughs> I love we that. played a Bible verse drinking game and we played a worship song drinking game. So That one had me lit lit i was i was falling over i was so so lit that night just listening to our god is an awesome god like hey (laughs) (laughs) we put on some hill song there were some hill song songs in there listen Oh, oh, hold on. Did she say Hillsong? Trigger, 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 Australia, oh. Australia, trigger, trigger, trigger. Oh, my God. Hillsong. Oh, my God. Carry on, Brian. I'm sorry. No, no. It's it's good. It's I, this is how stories should go. Interjections. I am completely fine with it. Um, yeah, so, look, I, I did become one of them. I eventually bumped around for maybe two or three years before, or probably two years before I landed in a church where essentially I met Troy back then. So we've been friends over 30 years. Um, and, you you know, you toe the line. You, in Pentecostalism, there's, there is a bubble you operate within. I felt safe within that bubble because in some ways I didn't then have to go out and tell my story and evangelise to, to people and to friends, technically, um, if I stayed safe within the bubble. So I stayed safe within there. I did all the, the right things, much like Troy, went to Bible college to become a pastor, um, but then realised probably... I don't know, maybe a year into to Bible college going, this this isn't really what I want to do. So stepped away from it. Um, eventually went travelling, um, 
by this time I was married and ended up living in far north Queensland in Australia, so in the tropics. And up there I realised when I'd, I'd gone to Bible college, I didn't really want to become a pastor. I wanted to become a, some someone that just helped people um, through their shit. So I actually went and became a social worker and went to university and did a social work degree. So I was starting to work that out. And for me, this was probably in my late 20s where I went, I'm actually, and it's only in hindsight, I look back and go, I was deconstructing. I was absolutely starting to deconstruct. And it was once I let some other truth in, um, you know, all the theoretical stuff around social work, that social theory, um, and around community, around society, I was just like, oh, wow, this is little bit of a crock of shit. Um, but I was at a fairly liberal church at the time, so I was able to do that. I was able to question. Uh, eventually, though, we we moved back to Melbourne in Australia and it wasn't long after that that I ended up getting divorced um, and it was probably at that point I used my divorce time to go, oh, it's time to walk away because I, I hadn't actually believed it for at least five years before that, um, and I thought now is the cutting time. So I used that, and that was probably, I don't know, Troy and I were talking about this the other day. It wasn't that long ago, 10 or 11 years ago, um, whereas Troy walked away probably 20 years ago or close to it. So it was a um, obviously lots of very different stories throughout that period that got me to where I am, but where I am now, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. I would say I'm agnostic maybe because I'm, I'm not sure. I don't want to shut the door. I definitely am not a Christian um, and believe that's a crock of shit. But it's, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's there's something else. I don't know what it is, but there's something else happening. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. Uh, Brian, I just wanted to bring attention to something you said um, that you – were you went to Bible school to be a pastor, but you didn't want to be a pastor because you wanted to help people who were going through things. So you decided to become a social worker. And what's so interesting to me about that is that most pastors think they're helping people and that's why they get into it. Oh, I want to help people or the missionaries. And, you know, I was a missionary kid. And so the whole thing was like, I'm being called by God to help people. Um, and that's like the undertone of why they're doing what they're doing and how they're backing up what they're doing is I'm quote unquote helping people. So it's just fascinating that you were already in that deconstruction space where you recognized, oh yeah, no, being a pastor isn't going to be helping people the way that um, I know that I'm being called to help. And that tr true help is, is going to be in me following social work and following that career path. It's so interesting that you were like already in that subconscious process. Yeah, totally. There's there's so many things that I look back on and I didn't realise what I was doing, why I was doing it, what my motivations were. And it wasn't until later that I went, this was totally happening. There's no doubt. I mean, pastors, I, I mean, I, I want to be graceful to a degree. I think a lot of people do go in thinking I'm going to help people, um, but they help people within some very defined boundaries. They'll help them to find Jesus, to stay with Jesus, to tell other people about Jesus, um, and that just didn't interest me. Um, I've, all, I've always been um, fairly liberal in my my views, and so there's a lot of things that never sat that well with me while I was in church, and I knew that if I was to be a pastor, there's no way that I could help people 
there. So, you know, I, I tried different things. I tried – there's a um, an organisation called uh, TIA, which I can't remember. I think it stands for something like Transformation, Empowerment, Advocacy and something else. So it's a social justice organisation that's Christian, but a lot of Christians go, hey, they're not Christians because they're just too left. So I tried, I think – expressing myself through being involved with them for for many years and it it helped me sort of skirt that that dangerous edge of Christianity where I went I'm sort of half in half out so it was easier to step out when you're involved in something like that because you step straight into some hardcore social justice after that so yeah good for you like that I um I feel like a lot of pastors think that because they're pastors, they're like qualified for things like counseling and um, social work or things like that. Um, They're definitely not. I have this weird like thing with my pastor where um, my dad passed away and my mom was like, you should talk to Pastor Steve about it. And I was like, why would I do that? And I was like, oh, because he can like really help you. Did not help me man definitely broke down crying in the middle of my counseling session. So bravo to you for recognizing that, um, you know, being a pastor isn't, doesn't make you qualified to, or educated, you know, to actually really help people. Yeah. It's a, it's one thing that um, I've been fairly vocal about in the podcast. It pisses me off because you do get pastors who think that they are counsellors. They think that they've got some sort of training to be able to to help people navigate this stuff, but they fuck them up more. Like they, they yeah. really do. Yeah. Totally damage people. And again, I think that they feel like they're, they're helping people and they're doing it with the only tools that they know, the tools yeah. that Can they I- were given. Can I stop you there, Brian? Because we no. did a two-week counselling course at Bible College and I think that really equipped us <laughs> and, and it was taught by a man who had been to a community college and done like a three-week course in counselling. And I think that really equipped us to be able to step out and take care of people in that way. Oh, I'm kidding. But that's true. Oh, yeah, we did a two-week counselling Yeah, yeah, we did a two-week counselling course. A two-week psychology degree. <laughs> Well, that can be fast tracked um, through Jesus. It's like the people who like go through some shit and then they like feel like they've hit like a healing point and then suddenly they start advertising that they're coaches. Like oh, I'm yeah. a life coach now. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna yeah. coach you through your religious trauma because I, I have religious trauma. Well, hold on, hold on a minute. You're <laughs> describing us, except we call ourselves podcasters. We're podcasters. Right? Like, We're not therapists. Guys, we know Although Brian is a therapist, you know Brian is yeah. a therapist, and I'm yeah, also so a therapist. Yeah. But like, He's done more than two weeks. He's done more than two (laughs) weeks. All good. I went to a counseling session at uh, Calvary Bible College here in, um, I think it's Kansas or is it Missouri? I don't know. Kansas or Missouri in the States. And uh, my mom sent me there because I was having like issues. And um, one of the ladies like was a stand-in one day when my actual counselor was gone and um after I just got done like unloading on her she was like but like do you, like 
can you just like remember like how Jesus feels about you and like that Jesus loves you and like shouldn't that be enough for you? Like like basically just like shouldn't the fact that, that like this imaginary man in the sky feels about you fix all your problems? And I was like, get the fuck out. I, I never went back after that. I was like, no. <laughs> and I was a teenager at this point. So I was like, I, I was calling bullshit before I was like actually out of the fold. But every single time that I've had Christian counseling has just been like laughable. I remember one distinct time being in Christian counseling. I was having issues with my parents because I was deeply traumatized. And so they um, had me meet with member care. We had a Skype call and member care were um, people who um, their job was to provide counseling services to everyone in our mission board. So it was all very like incestuous. Um, And so... I met with them and I remember just kind of, I couldn't even be completely honest with them about what was happening in my household. Um, some of the abuse that was taking place just because like my parents would lose their job and we'd get kicked out of Mexico and we'd have to go back home. And like, I knew, I knew the risk that I ran by being honest. So I was not going to be fully honest, but I remember just sharing with some of my struggles and, and at the end of me unloading, she goes, well, you remember what the Bible says is you need to honor your father and mother. Even if you don't agree with what they're doing, you have to obey them. And I was like, yeah. well, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> I just sat here for an hour talking about this shit for nothing. <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, loop back into the coercion and control. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing mm-hmm. to see here. So you both were mega like leaders in the mega church, right? We yeah, well, sort of middle point. middle leaders, really. I mean, it's not like middle we ever leaders. had our own mega churches, but uh, I was a youth pastor. Brian was, uh, and an assistant pastor. Brian was a youth leader in in ch- in mega churches. And this is the days. I mean, we're talking the '90s. So in Australia, mega churches weren't yet what they are today. I mean, Hillsong was part of the movement, the Assemblies of God in Australia, where where we came from. Um, but you know, churches of thousands. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what we were involved in. So were you, you both were involved in youth, right? So were you leading large groups of youth? Were you leading like, um, you know, I don't want to say like missionary because it wasn't as extreme as like Molly's experience, but were you like doing mission work? Were you like, what were you doing as far as that goes? I, I did go on a mission trip. I mean, it was it was sort of a rite of passage for a lot of, of Christians, um, and which I'm sure it is around the world. So it was only a short term mission trip. I, I never Colonizing. lived anywhere, but I went to um, colonizing. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> colonizing uh, other places. Yeah, it, it totally was like, passing um, out tracks. <laughs> it, was, it was in Estonia. Um, all random places, so just, just near Russia, near Latvia, Lithuania, and mm. but there was a connection Russia to our church. Lord. Russia mm-hmm. does need the Lord. <laughs> yeah, Russia. Russia's gonna. Russia's Russia gonna needs something right now. Okay? <laughs> needs, yeah. Russia needs a hard drink. <laughs> it needs another president. That's what it needs. Um, but it's a. It, there was a connection because when um, when the Russians essentially invaded and took over Estonia, there was these families that were connected to the great big AOG that we were part of that were Estonian. And so they fled there. But then when communism fell in the late 80s, early 90s, and they were able to go back, they went back there and became missionaries to their own people, essentially. So 
they started to set up assemblies of God across um, Estonia. So in a couple of years, there were so many different groups, like Mormons had set up there, Jehovah's Witnesses had set up there. Everyone was just going in to win souls, essentially. So I went as part of that one. And look, it was an interesting time. I mean, I got to preach in, um, you know, many different churches, in prisons and all that sort of stuff. It was super, super exciting and you felt like you were doing something. And But, you know, to be a missionary full-time, that certainly, you, you had to be too povo. Um, so you were, yeah, and that just was never going to work. You have to have a special kind of personality to to be a full time missionary. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very specific calling. But it's so interesting to me that you you went and did that, and like you had said earlier, you had a lot of anxiety around evangelism that you would have to like get drunk to talk about God. So, I mean, how did that translate in that short term mission trip? Did you did you find it kind of cringe worthy for the you? Whole you? Trip. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you were in you were in a portion of Russia. I mean. Wow. Well, <laughs> But no, I I actually, I think I was able to disassociate um, because it's 15,000 kilometres from home. No one knew me. um, So I could go and speak shit to those people and know that they're never going to see me on the street again. Whereas Mm -hmm. talking to friends and and evangelising friends, I had a lot of non-Christian friends until I got involved in the Pentecostal church. Um, So when I was in little independent churches along the way, it was like I just maintained my normal friendship group pre-conversion but as soon as I became part of um, what we refer to in the podcast as great big AOG that was our bubble even though you know and it was a self-sustaining bubble because there was a couple of thousand people there the youth group at one stage Troy was what four five hundred three four hundred somewhere around there you know hundreds and hundreds of kids so your social groups were were there you could operate within that bubble and you didn't have to be challenged in any sort of way you reinforced the truth that you're indoctrinated with and you didn't really have to look outside or you're part of the world as such when you went to work um and i think for me that was part of the initial attraction to being a pastor I didn't have to challenge myself. It was easy. I didn't have to have that cognitive dissonance. I was easy. It was easier just to be part of something that reinforced the belief that I knew ultimately I had to believe, but I was ultimately struggling with it. it all the way along through my journey, I used to constantly think literal resurrection, it's a little bit weird. Um, Earth being created um, in and we're only like five, 6,000 years old, um, I don't know. I really like science. So I tried to balance that with creation science and tried to, to find ways to, to, I guess, hold on to some of that stuff that I knew was fundamental truths pre-conversion, um, but ultimately it falls apart. I think the Troy, other thing did... to note – oh, sorry, go ahead, Molly. No, you can – Go ahead. I was just going to ask you about evangelism, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I was going to tell you that the other thing, and I think this is maybe more what you meant, Rachel, when you're asking about youth mission, is that we were involved in street teams that used to go out on a Friday night and try and convert people. And Brian and I were also involved with our church's attempt at sort of social justice, you know, social youth outreach to street kids on a Thursday night. So we'd go out on a Friday night and do the hardcore evangelism and we evangelism. And then we'd go out on a Thursday night and hand out tracts and, and oh, excuse me, 
that's I got that backwards. We hardcore evangelism and handing out tracks on Friday and Thursday was going out and feeding the kids. And uh, Wait, when so, you so say we did that. street kids, were they homeless or were they just like kids hanging out? Bit of both. both. Okay, okay. So, so can you just tell us a little bit about like what that evangelism looked like? Um, I'm so curious because like I was a full time missionary, so we did all I'm sorts of interesting you, things. But like stood on street corners like they do here. Did you do like Friday skits? nights at the plaza and yeah, just, yeah, we like, did yell through a megaphone at you that you're going to hell? Yeah, well, we did. We did all of that. We did all of that because unlike Brian, who wasn't very convinced, I I had some serious fear going on in my life. And so I really believed it all and I needed to believe it all. And I dare not. You were afraid that everyone literally was going to go to hell. Yeah, including myself. So I, you know, Mm -hmm. needed to live for Jesus. And so I was, you know, Brian jokes all the time that Troy was the evangelist and uh, I was, and I saw myself as an evangelist. And a lot of that was because I didn't quite fit in at church. I didn't feel like I fit in. And I realize now that's probably true of a lot of people, but I thought that I was more in touch with the people that were on the outside. And I think there was a drawing inside myself towards just getting the hell out. Right. Um, but I was too afraid to, so I would go out and spend time evangelizing people all the time. And so, yeah, I, I was the, the guy that would stand there. Well, we had a team, but I was the guy that would stand up on the you know, the, the seats in the, in the corner of the the town square and be yelling at people and telling them, you know, Jesus loves you. And he's going to tell you, guy. I want to tell you today that God loves you. You know, that, that was me. Yeah. hundred percent. And, yeah. and, and, and others in our, in our group. Um, and then we would share with people, you know, we'd pray for a good hour or two before we'd go out, you know, Jesus softened their hearts and, you know, and oh, then we'd, yes. we'd try and get words of prophecy over them while we were there. And, you know, I feel God is saying that, you know, this, and yeah, totally. That was, that was my life. And, and so I was the evangelist. Um, and, and it was, it was hardcore traditional handing out leaflets, telling them about Jesus. But then on a Thursday night, we would start to feed them, right? We'd feed the street kids and stuff, but it was totally with the end goal of winning them to the Lord. Converting. Yeah, it was, it was not, I didn't have a social justice ethos, at that point in my life, not at all. It was, we're going to use these as tools to win them to the Lord. And so if we fed them and we didn't win them to the Lord, it was a fail. Forget it that we just fed them. A multi-level marketing scheme. Just, it's an MLM. It's all an MLM. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's about <laughs> winning souls. You know, Brian and I joke because Pentecostals, especially, you know, with the mega church thing, it's all about numbers. Right. And it's all about how many souls did you save? And and we joke now. It's like we look at our podcast download numbers for the week. It's like, how many souls, brother? Oh, look at that. 2,500 <laughs> souls. Let's push it, brother. You know, we're doing and, the yeah. Lord's work. We're oh, actually totally. doing the Lord's work now. <laughs> but but unlike we you and, and Rachel, Molly, we are doing the Lord's work. Right. We, we are still trying to win souls, but to Podbean's, uh, you know, download counter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very important to get our listenership up, which is why we're uh, doing a crossover episode. <laughs> of course. Oh, no. oh, and, and join our cult. <laughs> I have a hashtag that I was using on Instagram for a while was join my hashtag join my cult. And it was always like, you know, do you, do you want to talk about like sexual liberation and getting like in touch with your body and healing your emotions and working through your trauma? Join my cult. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag boost my download numbers. <laughs> Hashtag wow. listen to my podcast. 
nothing wrong with that. I reckon. I would be a great cult leader. I feel like um, I was really, I was raised to be a cult leader, and I was, um, you know, everything I was trained to be uh, was to be a great cult leader. I got recruited into multi, multiple pyramid schemes and was very, very good at it um, until I realized they were taking all my money too. (laughs) I've dabbled in many different forms of cults myself, and uh, I think I have it in me. I think I could, I could really make something happen. I'm, I'm ready for it. I think you should give it a shot. Don't don't hold back. But but yeah, Troy as the, the evangelist scared the shit out of me. Like he he really did. It was a it was He's threatening. Right. Yeah, he he loved it, and he was really good at it. And I used to go along to these Friday night things occasionally. I wasn't I wasn't there all the time because I felt like it's what you had to do. It was the next level of. You know, this evangelism was that's how you showed people that you were a true believer. But I always, I, I hit up the back. There'd be about a dozen, maybe 20 on some weeks who would come out. And the guitar would come out, they'd be singing. Then there would be someone who would preach after you, you drew a crowd and I would be up the back. It scared the absolute hell out of me. Um, but I gave it a shot. And this was, there's a mall in um, in our city that lots of different groups would hang around that mall because it's a lot of foot traffic on a Friday night is going through there. You know, you've got tens of thousands of people, so you get captive audiences. So sometimes there would be a yell-off about who could actually yell the loudest or preach the loudest or draw the biggest crowd. And not that, you know, that was ever um, something that was said, but you could see it. Like there was a competition 100%. 100%. But our street team leader, he controlled the pulpit in the same way that the pastor controls the pulpit. So he would come up to you and say, okay, Troy, you, you can go preach now. And then you'd be like, oh, oh, okay. And you'd stand up and, oh, I want to tell you today that Jesus is, you know, died for your sins. And, and, and off we'd go. And it was just, oh, man, it was just exhilarating to get out there and do that. But the real, the real fun and the real, I guess, reward at that time anyway was just having those conversations with people. But so many times you'd meet people who would challenge your beliefs and you just shut it, shut it down. You just shut it out. You know, you, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't give into it. And you, cause you had an agenda was to save their souls. You weren't really there to debate the reality of the faith. You were there to win them. And, uh, and, and I've seen that now in the times where I've, I was waiting for my wife the other day, she was having an appointment and there was a street preacher and a group of them around. So I started talking to him and everything that I said to him, he just dismissed me, dismissed me. Like he didn't even entertain the idea. And I'd bring him back and say, Hey dude, you, you haven't answered that. Have, have you thought about that? You know, like, but no. And, and I guess I was the same. So it's just karma. I'm just getting my own back now. I think it's really interesting that people even do that. Like, I think it's probably the cognitive dissonance is, is that they don't even register what you're saying. They, they believe so truly in what they're saying that when you push back on any sort of logical thing, they're just like immediately no. And or, or they'll I follow know, it up with things of, well, that's not faith. You, if to have real faith, right. you're not supposed to have believe? all the facts. You're supposed yeah, to just yeah. believe. But now we're like, you are supposed to have all the facts ma'am yeah that's right i mean they they actually used to say to us check your brain at the door let go let god you know you think too much you're too academic all that kind of thinking it's it's ah it's finest i just i love watching um like 
things that like show like the progression of feminism and all of this. And um, I'm watching this show right now about a lesbian during the Regency era. It's like based on like a real person. And there's this part where they're talking about women doing men's work and they're like, oh, it's all started when we taught women how to read. And now look at them going and collecting the rent. <laughs> like, See, if you let people think for themselves, shit happens. You can't control them anymore. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, I think that the Pentecostal scene as a whole, it was very anti-academic unless it was through one of their Bible colleges or an endorsed sort of course or, you know, hey, come along this Saturday afternoon, we're going to tell you shit that reinforces the shit we're telling you, you know, it, it's that sort of thing. But uh, I, I would say it was quite anti-academic So because they knew as soon as you started to think independently they were, it was at risk. You were going to leave. Like well, you, you had one foot out the door. So the only way is to control your education. Yeah, and, and even if you did go to university, the degrees you did were not philosophy, theology and things like that, you know, in, in a secular university. It was marketing or engineering and it wasn't even science degrees either, but it was very functional vocational degrees is what you were allowed to do. And But let's face it, some just dissuaded you from going to university altogether. Yeah, there was like a big push with the youth in our house church to all go to like Moody Bible Institute and Olivet Christian Nazarene like university and stuff like everyone was kind of going to these um, very, very intense Bible colleges. And if you didn't go to a Bible college, it was the same thing. You got kind of a more technical degree. Um, I remember telling my parents I wanted to study philosophy. I think I was like a junior in high school. And I was like, yeah, I want to study philosophy. And they laughed at me. My dad was like, yeah, sure. Okay, so you're going to think for a living? <laughs> like, and, and that's, that's where maybe. it's so different. Like in Australia, um, I mean, in the States, you have these large Christian universities that you can go do a degree that you could do at another secular university. We don't have that in Australia. Like you, you either go to a Bible college and get a essentially a theology degree um, or, you know, you have the Australian Catholic University, which is probably one of the, the bigger universities that is, is faith-connected, but it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, preach any Catholicism. I don't think there, from my understanding, it's fairly secular. So it's a very different scene here. We're not, you know, we don't identify as a Christian country. So it's, it's very, very different. Um, so you had to work within the system, the university system here, if people are going to get educated, but control that. Make sure that you pull some lever. Go be an engineer for Jesus. Go be a teacher for Jesus. Um, and that was the sort of language that was used, wasn't it, Troy? Yeah, that's right. There's no Liberty University. There's no. There's nothing like that where you can go and do a non-religious degree at a religious school. If you do a non-religious degree, you have to go to a non-religious institution or a secular institution. So I think it was the dissuading from university was not just because of the content that they were going to learn, but it was also the environment. You're going to be exposed to those leftist ideas, you know, that you get from universities and you're going to be exposed to, uh, you know, philosophies and ideas that are less than Christian. And so I think in that sense they would steer them away. But a fun fact, by the way, I just found out, did you know DC Talk actually came out of Liberty University, which is like Jerry Falwell's craziness? And that made me just go, oh, DC Talk, even worse than I thought. Yeah. A Jer- so Liberty University, 
I have a lot of connection to Liberty University. Uh, that school offered a free ride to children of missionaries with the Southern Baptist Mission Board. And so almost every youth I grew up with, every missionary kid I grew up with went to Liberty University. And um, they all, all the girls went and got their MRS degree. So they all got married right out of there and married other MKs and PKs. And um, one of my friends got kicked out of Liberty because she got pregnant. That school is disgusting and toxic and horrible. And they had, I think Trump went and uh, he went and did a talk there and um, Pence went and did a talk there. And like, they they were like very loud about their support of the Republican party. Um, Yeah. Well, they had all that scandal around Jerry Falwell Jr. And, you know, sexual scandal and financial scandal and, and all that. And, and so finding out that they were the DC talk were the, um, the darlings of Liberty university in the nineties really blew me away. Cause it's like, oh man, I, th- I thought they had much humbler beginnings, but no, they're just yeah, products no. of the machine. Was, who was the, the, I went to a, um, a Dutch reformed Christian school for a year. And, um, I don't know, you guys probably won't know this artist. Maybe you will. Um, our, our sweetheart was Suvian Stevens. <laughs> he was from West Michigan Suvian and Stevens? went to Hope College. Yeah. Suvian Stevens. You guys See, don't know who he is. He's a great artist. He's he, <laughs> a fantastic oh, artist, but, um, Yeah, no, DC Talk. I I didn't really get into them. Um, That was probably a little bit before my time. I'm a little bit younger than everyone here. (laughs) Okay. She always says that, but I'm literally two years older than her. Yeah, but like literally did not listen to DC Talk. I did not listen. Like we were like, I knew Jesus Freak. were like, listen to this. And I did. And it was fire. I listened to Michael W. Whatever his face was. was fire. Michael W. Smith. That's who I listened to. And Jars of Clay and Third Day. And Ryan was part it. of the support crew for DC Talk when they came Stop. out to Australia on their That's tour. Like, this is this is. <laughs> what I, do you I mean? thought DC Talk would have carried support? over. Well, we just we essentially drove them around um, and hung okay. out with them. And That's still very cool. It, it was cool, but they were also different. And you, Your you claim can to see fame. It. Yeah, no. Well, we were a bit pissed off actually because we we did all this for free, and you know we even oh. we hired a truck, drove they them didn't around. Pay you? They oh, were no, making no. money. There's, there's no pay, but they we asked for some merch, and they said no, so we stole it out of the truck. So <gasps> that's very uh, yeah. Christian of you. <laughs> yeah, it was good. No, um, well, it was actually anyway. my my uh, youth pastor at the time was the one that stole it out of the truck. Oh my and god! Then, well, so what's so go. So he was deconstructing. <laughs> so this, this <laughs> band not. were they charging for their shows? Were they making money from their shows? Uh, look, I, I think what they definitely were, but. Um, they, they were bought out by – there was an organisation called Youth Alive here. I think they're probably still around, but they bought them out and promoted it. They lost a shitload of money. Like they they lost – I don't know the exact amount, but a huge amount of money because they thought that they would pack out one of the stadium or not a stadium, but at the entertainment centre here, which held eight or 10,000 people, and they got 2,000 and struggled to get oh, that. So it wow. was – they tried – uh, so they didn't pay number. their drivers and their security. Like they didn't pay their staff, essentially. No, we, you we were volunteers. It. Wow. Totally. Well, that's very Christian, isn't it? Let's, yeah, let's volunteer. And, volunteer you know, my so, time. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. The amount of times I volunteered my time and did not get paid. And 
what's so interesting, I have a friend who is still very involved in her cult church. And um, she's telling me all of the stuff she does for this church, all the things she volunteers for. And she's at this point now where she's very pissy about it. And she's like, I am not being valued for my time and no one thanks me and it's a thankless job and I don't get paid. And I'm like, why are you signing yourself up? Like, oh my God. Like, and she's like, I'm like, what are you signing yourself up for? She was like to clean, like cleaning the church. I'm like, they can hire a cleaning crew. And she's like, well, and I'm like, they can hire a cleaning crew. They're a tax exempt business. They have the money to hire a cleaning crew. And she's like, well, da, da, da. And then she's like, and then I signed up to volunteer for nursery. And now I'm volunteering for this and I'm volunteering for that. And I'm like, girl, you're probably putting like 40 hours a week into this church, not getting paid. Oh, can I get free labor. And- can I point out, though, that she's doing all the women's work, by the way? Oh, she, yes. That is all women's work. She's not volunteering for, like, the things that the men do. She's volunteering mm-hmm. for all the things that the women do. And and we've talked about that before, that the, the women, when they did the volunteer work, was, like, babysitting the, the youth pastor's kids and, you know, cleaning the house and, and all that kind of thing, and, and even, you know, the church itself. But when it came to the men, God, we wouldn't do that. No way. No, we'd we'd mow the lawns and things like that. It's um, it's yeah, those gender norms reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. But we we did an episode on volunteerism. Um, I don't know when it was; it was quite a while back. But definitely, we pulled out that sort of stuff and and talked about how much not just about the free labour, but the things that you would do that would then help the pastors to do their paid stuff and then they they would get their salary but then they go and preach at another church or do something there and they would get a love offering so they would get a few hundred bucks for for preaching somewhere else or, or doing something else so it was it was really interesting to unpack some of that volunteerism and the abuse through that i mean all organizations they really do rely on volunteers to a certain degree. The organisation I work for, if we didn't have volunteers, we wouldn't be able to operate um, what we do. So, you, you know, you, I, I get volunteerism is definitely something that that needs to happen, but it's it's the abusive relationship with volunteerism that you see within churches over and over and over again. And don't most volunteer like volunteering places give something back to their volunteers, even if it's not pay like our Kaufman center, which is a huge theater place in Kansas city, Missouri. If you volunteer there, you get to go to free shows, you get other things, you know what I mean? They're giving you something. It's not just like, please volunteer your time and you get nothing. And oh, I come on, like Rachel, they, they are giving you something. You're laying up treasure in heaven. Right. right. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. And so when you say, no, I can't do this or I'm too busy, then they look at you because you've just missed out on, you know, some street paved with gold or, or whatever it is that, that you miss out on. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It was guilt. It was totally guilt. And you would go over, I mean, we've talked about this on that episode as well. It's like, how is babysitting the youth pastor's children, the kingdom building? It's not. And yet it's it was not. sold to us as if it was. I remember losing my disillusionment with like kingdom building around service and stuff when I went on a short-term mission trip and given I was like grew up on the mission field. And so I knew the difference between actual service and um, the illusion of service and uh, went on a short-term mission trip with my American church and uh, 
we were serving in this really underprivileged school. It was very it wasn't funded. They needed a lot of construction work done. We had the money to help them pay for some of this work. And um, the youth voted and the money did not go to them. The money instead went to, um, it, it was an, uh, basically we put the money into an organization that already had tons of donations that was already doing a lot of work and already had so much money going into them. And I'm like, we should be putting this money toward this school that is getting zero funding and zero help why aren't we spending our time and our money working with this school? And they were like, well, we voted and we're going to go put it towards this other thing. And I'm like, yeah, but they already have volunteers. They already have people who work there. They already have people who are giving money. We should be doing this here where, where no one is showing up for this school, for these kids. And I got completely blown out of the water with that. And they were just like, yeah, no, absolutely not. You step down. You're not a student leader anymore. So I stepped down because I was fighting it. And, um, after that, like I didn't, I stepped away from every single service thing I was doing in my church after that summer mission trip, I was like, yeah, no, they're not getting any of my time because I'm seeing the little value they put in actual service. They just like to have the illusion of service. They want a good story to be able to tell when we come back from the mission trip, you know, cause it was a whole thing. We come back from the mission trip, you're going to stand in front of the church and the student leaders are going to share about how God moved them through the service that they did. And, um, it was going to look a lot better to talk about this other organization than to talk about an underprivileged school where we were literally scraping lead paint off the walls. Like, no one wanted to talk about that. That wasn't sexy. Kudos to you, Molly, that that you did that because I know that I would have been one of the crowd because I wouldn't have even thought about it back in those days. It would have just been go along with whatever it is that the pastor said, this is where the money goes. And, you know, and it wasn't until afterwards that I, eh, well, maybe a little bit towards the end where I was sort of going, hold on, where's this money going? What's going on here? But at that age, no way I would have, I would have been one of the the group that would have looked at you and gone, oh, you're just making trouble. You're stirring things up. Short-term mission trips were so obnoxious to me. Like, like when we would host like short-term missionaries in Mexico and we'd have to translate for them. I remember being like 12, 13 years old translating for these grown adults who were trying to like win Mexicans over to Jesus. And it was the most embarrassing, cringeworthy thing I wanted to hide. I was so just like ashamed. Like, I don't know why I'm out here doing this. Like they're not doing anything that's going to be worth anything because they don't live here. They're not building relationships with these people. They're not living in their communities. They don't understand their culture why are they even here? The tracks they're passing out don't even match up to cultural understanding of things. Like people are going to see this and be like, what is this? Like, this doesn't make any sense. It was just so like short-term mission trips are so bizarre to me. They, they've never made sense to me. It, It was always like, Hey, you need to go translate for this group of missionaries from Mississippi that are in for a week. Um, I'm like, what are they going to be doing? Well, they're going to be, you know, passing out evangelical material and I'm trying to get people to come to the VBS they're going to be hosting. And I'm just like, this is doing nothing for the community, but cool. I guess I'll go translate. I feel like you were so self-aware that like, I'm really surprised you stayed in the fold for so long sometimes. with I didn't have a choice. (laughs) I didn't really have a choice. I just feel like looking back on that, my brain was not even on that same like frequency. Like it was just very much like, 
oh, I'm going to be a good Christian girl and this is how things are done and like all this shit. And you were just like, I questioned everything. I was like, I'm not okay with this. Thoughts about stuff. <laughs> and my brain was like, we don't think about things, you know, like we just don't. Well, I got in and trouble brain- a lot. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I was kind of paying I definitely defied shit, like just for being rebellious, but like the way you did it was like very thoughtful. So I was, interesting. I, I don't know. I think that um, I could see through Who the bullshit. Are you? I don't know. <laughs> I could see through the bullshit. And I was kind of, I, f- I feel very, Brian, your story, what you were sharing very, very much so resonates with me because like evangelism never felt right in my soul. And like, it gave me a lot of anxiety and translating for these short-term missionaries was just very like, this is very weird. Why am I doing this? And like volunteering all of my time towards things that didn't actually do shit. I was just like, what am I doing here? This isn't, this isn't helping anyone. This is just wasting my time. <laughs> they could pay someone to do this. So, like Molly, we were never saved. I mean, that's that's just the reality of it. Yeah, literally, um, you were not. Never. never. That's what I said to him <laughs> on the podcast once. Saved. I said to him on the podcast, I said, why were you even there, man? Like, you, you know, you tell these stories about how much, you, you know. So, yeah. But um, look, turns look, out he was right. <laughs> oh, to be honest, though, I was there, and I think we touched on this in the, in the other episode, was – it, it was a sense of community. It was a place I belonged. You know, I felt I felt loved. I felt like I was part of something, even though ultimately I didn't necessarily agree with what I was part of in the end. I was part of something. And you don't get that from all corners of community and society. You don't always get that. Not that there was an unconditional acceptance. Let's let's definitely be clear on that because your acceptance was conditional on compliance with what the expectations were, but as long as you played that game, as long as on the surface you were seen to be, you know, relatively um, marketable as as a Christian, then you could stay and you could be accepted, you could be loved, and and that's what kept me there, and it's probably what kept me there ultimately for so long because it was comfortable, it was easy, I knew I had a place, and to step out of that and people listening will, and I feel like I'm preaching right now, but people listening um, will will think, um, you know, the, the, this is, it, it can be scary if there's people on the edge going, oh, fuck, I still feel safe in this place. Step out. You know, it's, it's a, actually a really good place. And the world, the community is not scary. It's actually super accepting in comparison to what you've you've uh, been experiencing because that was my fear. If I step out, What's going to happen? You know, my support um, mechanisms and my my social circle, which ultimately did happen. Like I lost my social circle. There was very few people that stuck with me when I stepped out because I wasn't part of the bubble anymore. Uh, I wasn't accepted. And people would say all the right words. Hey, we want to stay in contact. Like fuck, they weren't going to stay in contact. <laughs> there is not a hope in hell they're going to stay in contact. And I don't think they even even ever had that intention. Even now when I reach out to people every now and then that we're still connected through socials or whatever, it's it's just a, it's a surface relationship because you don't have faith in common anymore. It's just such a, such a crock of shit. And if people in there can't see that and can't see through their own bullshit that they're trying to convince themselves that, you know, that, hey, we're there for other people and we're here to support community, bullshit. Uh, absolutely you know tell yourself the truth for god's sake literally the most judgmental and egotistical community i have 
ever been a part of and literally the least accepting community I've ever been a part of and literally the most anxiety ridding community I've ever been a part of, like literally could not be myself, had to wear a mask every time I was around these people, had to wear a mask my entire life. Like it it was almost like when I had that opportunity, even in the Christian college, I like found the weirdest group of kids to hang out with all the theater kids, the geek life, like they all had like purple and red and pink hair. And I was like, yes, my people, I'm going to chill with you guys. They were all queer. They were all different. They were all strange. And none of them knew why they were at a Christian college. I didn't know why I was at a Christian college. It's just what we did. We, we had no other, we had no other experience outside of that really. And so it was like the first time any of us got to be self-expressant in any way. And I think that was kind of the turning point where I was like, oh, like there are people outside of the Christian faith or people who are leaving the Christian faith who are quite wonderful and quite loving and they don't question who I am. Like not a single person here has questioned my, like who I am. And that's beautiful. Like I just, I don't know about you, Rachel. Like, did you feel like sometimes before church, you would just have like this intense amount of anxiety of, I can't wear this. Cause if I wear that, someone's going to say something and I need to make sure like I I'm, you know, I would like overanalyze social situations all of the time just to make sure I was saying the right thing and not pissing someone off and and not doing anything that would create gossip because like the house church was so gossipy. Did, did you, I don't know. Did you guys have like weird clicks in your mega churches? And maybe this is just a woman thing. <laughs> this is just isolated to the women, but it was a gossip train. It was just, you had to be so careful about every step you took and everything you said, because it could get turned around on you so fast. I can totally relate to that, Molly. It's certainly not just a woman thing. Driving into our, you know, our Sunday services, I would start to feel the anxiety rise up the closer I got as we drove to, to um, to the service. And, you know, you talk about these scenarios, playing these scenarios out in your head. I would play scenarios out before they happened, you know, thinking this is what I'm going to say, this is what they're going to say back to me because it's just all about judgment and it's all about playing a role. And and it's funny because I was thinking about this, you know, saying, oh, I never really fit in when I was in church and I didn't feel that, feel that I fit in and saying that a lot of people did. I think people that are in there now feel this way, but they push those feelings down. And it's very easy to look back, you know, with 2020 vision in hindsight and look back and say, yeah, I was doing this. But when you're in the middle of it, it's, you're not conscious of it. I mean, maybe you were Molly and, you know, like Rachel said, it's just amazing that you were so self-aware and stood up for yourself. I, I certainly didn't. I played the game and, and, you know, went along with it. And have you seen that, that, that meme where it says who you think you are in a zombie apocalypse and you're standing in the middle of the, of the, of the car and you're shooting everybody and all the zombies around you. And then the, the flip side is who you really are in a zombie apocalypse. And there's someone shooting in your zombie X down in this crowd of zombies. That's who I was. I went along with it and so much regret and, and so much remorse. So again, kudos to you that you stood up for yourself like that but I'm sure that came at a cost for you. I'm sure you paid a price. I absolutely did. I think that I spent, and I mean, I share this in the episode we did with you guys earlier. Um, so our listeners can go back and listen to that if, if they haven't yet. But I honestly like was fighting my entire life to, and I think what it was, was I, I really believed in Christ consciousness and I, I still do. I really hold Christ consciousness very close to my, to me. And like, you know, 
the all-encompassing love that Christians supposedly preach, like I really, that resonated so deeply with me. And so I really wanted to, to hold on to that and to live by that. And, um, the deeper I went into that work in myself, where I was really trying to find that Christ consciousness and that, that full encompassing love, the more I realized, oh, this is all a sham. This is all bullshit. And I started pushing against it and fighting it. And, um, it did come at a cost. You know, I got kicked out of my parents' home. Um, I lost my community. Um, it was not comfortable. I got into screaming matches with youth pastors who were coming to evangelize us missionary kids. I got into fights with lots of people. Like it was not a comfortable existence, but I had no choice but to be there. Like I couldn't just leave. It was, I was so deeply entrenched in it. Like it was, I was homeschooled. I was in a house church. I was in, on the mission field. Like I couldn't actually go anywhere else. Like that was like, I had to make it work for myself. And so fighting it was the only way I could make it work, I guess. So maybe it was, you know, kudos to me, but like, also it was my own undoing. Like it wasn't a comfortable existence. I didn't have friends <laughs> at all. <laughs> Yeah, and to tap a bit, I think it is, it's the road less travelled because I certainly kept all that stuff pushed down and I kept pushing any doubt out of the way. Like Troy said before, you know, it, it truly was said from the pulpit, from many um, levels of support around the church, let go and let God. It was all about just forget it. Hey, if, if it's doubt, that that's totally cool. Um, everyone doubts. Look at Thomas. But the reality was you would have... Um, if you came out with the, the the same response that you had, Molly, we we would be kicked out. Like there there was no doubt if you didn't tow that line, you'd be gone. Yeah, that's. I mean, think about it, Brian. In in our story, when I started waking up, I woke up a little bit before Brian did, and when I started saying, "Hey, what's going on here? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that?" Brian and 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 I forgive you, brother, but Brian and and the rest of the youth team shut me down and crushed me. Um, and, and in fairness to Brian, he was more from a distance. Um, but, but he'll tell you when I stood up and started to say, nah, this is wrong. What are you doing? And I wasn't even challenging the basic tenets of Christianity. It was just the way that we were doing things in the youth group. Nah. You were I, dangerous. I, oh yeah. I got, I got destroyed. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, it, it was that it wasn't even the basic tenets of Christianity. I didn't give a fuck about that. Like I did not care. I was like, yeah, yeah. We believe in a guy in the sky and his son rose from the dead and forgave us of our sins. But that's fine. That's fine. Whatever. Like, I didn't care about that. Like that was a, I was like, eh, I'll figure that out later. For me, it was like the way we are functioning as a community is not okay. <laughs> this is not okay. And I was calling it as it was. And it's like, and, and that's where, when you're challenging the power that is, which at the ultimate, it's not God, it's these man-made communities of isolation and cults essentially that we were all in, like, you're going to get shut down. And like, I did get shut down in many different ways. It's just, I was underage. So it turned up in like, oh, well, you're grounded and you can't participate in youth group anymore. And, you know, you can't, you can't go on mission and you can't be a student leader and um, your input is not going to be taken seriously, you know, just different things like that. Or you still have to attend class with this really abusive youth pastor that you got into several screaming matches with. Like, like why is a youth pastor screaming at a student? Like <laughs> there was just so much that was happening and it was just like, well, you really just don't have a choice. You have to be there and you can be quiet and silent and sit in the corner, but you know, you still have to be there. 
It's it's pretty full on. When we did the episode, uh, I don't know, it was several episodes ago, maybe three, four episodes ago, it was a, a friend I went to Bible college with who struggled with his sexuality for a long time and ultimately came out as gay 20, over 20 years ago. Um, we, we unpacked a lot of his story in there and talked about, you know, the blood that the church has on their hands. I mean, we had several guys within our youth group take their lives and it was absolutely tragic but nothing changed. Like there was no acceptance, there was no ability to be able to to reflect and go, we played a part in that. And they 100% played a part. I mean, it's that sort of thing where it's it's that type of community that damages and they do it all in the name of Jesus, you know, because, you know, Jesus obviously said that homosexuality was wrong. Well, no, he didn't. He said he actually spoke nothing of it. And this is the thing where we get, I don't believe that Jesus was God. I don't believe, I'm not a Christian in any sort of way. Um, how? Yeah, I know. I can't believe it. But if you were to, to separate the person of Jesus that was presented in the Bible and go, okay, we're going to have a, and Troy talks about this quite often, trying to find a pure form of Christianity, which was Jesus-focused, you would have acceptance. You would have love. You wouldn't have this shunning. You wouldn't have all these rules. I mean, it's it's, it's not something would, that would happen, but you've got all this man-made bullshit which then destroys people because it's all about control, absolutely all about control. And it's just it's horrendous that still these communities go on and say, oh, no, we're there for people. We love them. Um, we love them so much that we're going to destroy them. We love them so much we have a welcome pack for them yeah. when they arrive at our church for the first things time. That's how much we love things them. Things not to do. Thank yes. You. I recently I just like watched. Was... Go, go ahead, Rachel. Sorry. No, it's okay. Okay. No, I just recently just watched this uh, show called Mormon No More on Hulu. And it's about um, it's just LGBTQ people who are raised in LDS, Mormon faith, and who, um, you know, realized they were gay and left the faith the and it was just really interesting watching their stories and seeing how their families all reacted to it and how they all processed it and some people's families ended up leaving the church because as they saw that their child was no longer going to be embraced by the community and was going to be shunned by the community they're like hey this is not the community you swear you are you say that you're all welcoming and all loving and kind and wonderful, but like now my child is saying, hey, can you please accept me? And you're you're shunning them? Well, then we're going to have nothing to do with this. And so they walk away. And um, it's really tough for me right now um, as I'm stepping more and more into who I am and um, watching how my family is so loving and accepting these days. And they're so, so kind and welcoming to like this LGBTQ identity and this experience that me and my sibling are having, but they aren't like leaving their faith. They're like still going to church, still doing the things. And I'm like, maybe your church, your personal church isn't outright like hurting us, but in general, the Christian church has never supported us and has only like sent, like sentenced us to death in a sense. Like, 
so many youth have committed suicide. And, and like, I was one of them as a teenager who was contemplating that, you know, and it, it's so hard to hear stories of kids who actually end up dying and their parents are still attending church. And I'm like, do you not understand? Like you are still contributing to what caused your child's death. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It truly, truly is. And, um, it's just interesting. Like, you know, we're seeing it, like there's so much stuff around like people coming out of the Mormon faith right now. And I'm like, I'm ready to see some stuff about like evangelicals (laughs) coming out of their faith and talking about this shit. And, and, um, Netflix, hit us up. Come on, Netflix. Where are you? (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's really, really hard. Cause like you, these communities are swearing up and down that they are so loving and welcoming and not judgmental. And, and at the end of the day, they are, they're nothing they but right judgmental do, and evil. Do you guys not get the Netflix show? What was it called? Brian pray the gay away. I think we did get that one. We got yeah, it. So, I haven't watched. It. So that's that's about evangelicals who okay. I'll have to watch that. Yeah, one. who like the whole ex-gay ministry and the gay conversion therapy it- and all that, and and they've walked away. And so you get people that are still in it and people that have walked away from it, and th- they tell their stories. So that's probably one worth. I have to go check it out. out. Yeah, conversion therapy is a little. Uh, <laughs> whenever that co- comes up, and I'm like, I don't want to watch it. It feels a little much. <laughs> We've actually um, legislated against it in many Australian states. So you can be prosecuted if you practice conversion therapy. So what it's causing it to do, though, is go more underground um, and be relabeled and they try to find ways around it. But certainly in um, two or three of the states, you can can be imprisoned for it. So there's a real seriousness around it. It's illegal here too, but it is underground and it's still very much so prevalent in um, the faith communities. There are these weird like youth camps, like, like if your kid is like a juvenile delinquent, they'll send, if you're gay, (laughs) um, they'll send you to this like correction camp. It's like a behavioral correction camp and um, it's, it's conversion therapy. Like that's what it is. So we have a lot of that going on still. I think what really turns me off to Christianity now, and I think what's developed over time is the lack of empathy, really, because I feel a very empathetic person. And I feel like I really strive to understand people and their stories and stuff. And and Christians, like, even though they claim like love and acceptance and all this stuff, and like, what, what would Jesus do and all that shit? they really don't try to understand it. Like they do not try to understand anyone's side ever. And I I feel like that's been like the striving thing with turning me more and more away from those people in Christianity because of like the conversion therapy or, you know, anything else that people have gone through or, or the manipulation where they're like, Hey, we'll help better your situation if you convert to Christianity, things like that, where it's like, can't you just like sit with someone and understand their story? Because to some extent, that's, I feel like at least in the new Testament, that's what Jesus was doing. And I'm not like mad about that. You know, I I feel like he was like chilling with people and really trying to understand them. And like, if you believe in that part of Christianity and you live that out in your life, like, I'm not mad about that. Like, that seems like a cool thing to do. But in reality, that is not what the Christian faith is about. And I feel like the more I try to understand the world around me and the more I try to understand people, 
the more religion becomes so distasteful to me because all they're trying to do is shun and conform and make people feel shitty about themselves instead of being like, hey, it's cool. Like we all have different stories. We all have different places we've come from and they're all crazy and they're all weird. And like, we're not going to understand that about each other instead of trying to be like, "Mm, it should be this way. And so I feel like that's been my biggest turnoff, especially since Trump became president, but also like, I don't know, he's not president now. I mean, when he became president in 2016 and beyond, like that was just like this whole thing with me. I mean, we, I think about abortion rights. Like I think about all the, all of my pastor's kids being like, oh, you're a horrible person because you're even contemplating abortion. I'm like, you have no idea about this person's story. You have no fucking idea about what they're up against, what they've been through, all this stuff. And and the fact that they can't even have some sort of imagination about what that might be like is insane to me. So, I mean, just bringing it right back around, that's sort of been my ongoing like soapbox thing with Christians right now to where it's like, you're never going to convince me otherwise until you start fucking taking time to listen and hear someone else's story and even like fucking caring about it. Like gay people. I mean, none of the people that I grew up in house church with even like associate with gay people. And I'm like, that's fucking weird. (laughs) Like everyone knows a gay person, everyone, you know, it's like, so I feel like plus, like everyone's gay now. So it's like really hard to like be isolated from the queer. (laughs) We're all gay. (laughs) So there's that. Like you guys are the weird ones. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like that in itself is just sort of like pushed me further and further away from all of this, like religion and Christianity bullshit. Like the lack of empathy is weird and it just makes you a bunch of like narcissistic people. It's all narcissism. I I think, I think Rachel, listening to what you're saying, it's a bait and switch because it's like anything, you know, it's like the, the creepy guy with the candy saying, get into my car, little boy and little girl, I've got candy. And so they use the Jesus stories in a lot of ways to, you know, come and get in the car. And then when you get in, it's not Jesus, ha ha ha, it's Paul and John and Luke and all these, yeah. And all these, and all this other stuff. And so you just couldn't imagine Jesus saying, oh, don't, don't eat with that person. Like, you know, whereas Paul says, you know, if they sin, you know, they sin against the body and, you know, meanwhile, Jesus is saying, you know, I, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. And, you know, let him without sin. They're two very different pictures, but what the evangelicals do is that they combine it all because we've got this thing called the inerrancy of scripture and these writings Mm. of Paul and all these other characters, they're on the same level as the supposed son of God. And, and so it, it, it just becomes conflated with all this sort of post Jesus church stuff that, you know, that was written. And so I think that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a bait and switch, but you're not allowed to ask those questions. You're not allowed to say, oh, why did Jesus say this? And yet Paul says this, or why does first John say this? But you know, the book of Matthew says that you're not allowed to do that. And if you do, it's, it's an attempt to harmonize. Oh, because actually they were saying the same thing. You know, when Paul says there's no male or female, and then later on says, I don't permit a woman to teach. He's actually saying the same thing. No, he's fucking not saying it. It's a contradiction. These, these are 
different voices from the church. This is, you know, not the same person talking. And you look, you're just not allowed to have that conversation. But the next step is these red letter Christians, right? And oh, we just hold on to the words of Jesus, right? Okay, cool. But don't pretend to be evangelicals because what you're doing is you're now, you're now, you know, dividing scripture up from what Jesus said to what all, you know, these other writings. And so you're not an evangelical anymore. Now you're actually more liberal. You're more, um, what's the word? Progressive. And, and I find progressive Christians to be a lot more tolerable. I find them to be a lot better. And I don't, I'm not so angry at them. As a matter of fact, we've had a few progressives because our show is, I was a teenage fundamentalist and where you end up now is, is, is different for different people. So we invite uh, progressive Christians on and we let them have their say. And, and a lot of them are great people and doing really, really good things. And, and they're wonderful people. And they will agree with us that the mythology is exactly that mythology, but they tried, you know, and so even though I reject Christianity and I reject Christianity outright, I would never, you know, if this, if we were sitting here talking about, um, fundamentalist Islam, we wouldn't even be having a podcast. Do you know what I mean? But it's only because we were raised in, in this stuff that it, that it's got, but it's just so poisonous and it's so wrong and it's so bad. And and I don't care who fucking stops listening to the podcast now because I've said this, it's just wrong and it's just bad. And you can be red letter, black letter, whatever. Fuck. You know, I just wish this hadn't happened. You know, really, truly for me and my experience at the moment, and sorry if I'm oversharing here guys, but I just wish that none of this had happened to me. And, and, you know, Brian and I try and pull out the positives and all all that, but if I didn't go through this, okay, yeah, I wouldn't have a podcast and we wouldn't be charting in these countries and that's kind of cool and fun, but I also wouldn't be in EMDR therapy. I wouldn't be spending, you know, years of my life on antidepressants. I, I wouldn't, you know, there's not this is just shit, you know, yeah. and, and I just wish it never happened. Yeah, it it's absolutely totally, is. I think it's normal to feel that way. Yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm so pissed off that like, I didn't even know that queer people were allowed to exist until I was in my twenties. I think it's shit. I'm that like everything angry by that shit. Like it, ang- yeah. I have so much anger that like I had no one that I could look to as a kid and see myself in like, because it was completely not allowed. It was, it was so taboo. We couldn't even talk about it. It wasn't even an option. Mm -hmm. Like there's like, we all have like this, like, I wish this hadn't happened to me. You know, I think that we all share that. We all wish for quote normal lives, like just a, a normal chance at, not being completely indoctrinated with all of this stuff and the fact that we like from birth or in your teenage years and the fact that we're spending the majority of our adult years now and we will continue doing this in this healing post-trauma healing and deconstruction it's never going to end it's this is like this is the cross that we now bear. <laughs> this is the burden that we now carry. Oh God. <laughs> and, yeah, and on that note. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I realize, I realize everybody has their shit, right? But my, my son came home one day and the kid at school had given him an NIV study Bible and invited him to church. And I was like, no God. fucking You're way. Like, You're not no, going. Exactly, no fucking way. And, I, and he's like, oh, come on. And then I started, you know, okay, I've got to be the parent that doesn't, because if I stop him, he'll sneak 
right? Okay. And then, and then go he'll go behind yeah. my back, right? Yeah. yeah no, so I said, smart. okay, I'll go, I'll go with you, right? And he's like, oh, do you really want to go? And yeah, I'll go with you. And he's like, oh, it's nothing like the church you were involved in, Dad. And I said, who's the pastor? And he said, such and such. I said, that guy taught me public speaking at, at Bible college. Like oh. it totally was connected, right? And he was like, yeah. oh, okay, I won't go then. And he didn't go. Um, and now yeah. he occasionally goes along to a non-religious, secular Jewish synagogue. We love that. So this, the, yeah, so these are <laughs> Jews who don't believe in God, and he goes along to that. And you can see this yearning for community, this yearning for purpose, mm-hmm. this yearning for meaning, but stay away from the Christian scene, my son, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> no good. No, no bueno. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> Immediately, no. Well, on that note, we want to go ahead and start wrapping up. And uh, can you guys uh, share with our listeners where they can find your podcast, where they can connect with you? Um, I feel like I've listened to a few of your episodes. You guys have a Facebook group too, don't you? We do. Yeah, we've got a Facebook group. Um, it's just uh, I was a teenage fundamentalist listener community. Um, people can jump in there. We've We've got a very broad spectrum of people in there so we we have people who are still christians people who are hardcore atheists people who are whatever have absolutely no idea and again like your one i I think your facebook group it's it's a place of healing it's a place of deconstruction we're fairly strict with our admin in that group um around tolerance people have to be tolerant you know curious questions if you've got an issue with someone do not abuse them we've kicked a few people out of the group in the you know in the past quite a long time ago yeah, it now. doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on whether you're yeah. pro-christian or anti-christian if you get nasty it's it's not on yeah we've yeah. had to kick a few people I just joined. out yeah, yeah, we've had to people kick are just, people are evil on facebook i don't know why we lovingly yeah. refer to it as the 700 club at the moment because we <laughs> have over 700 people so yeah Aww. yeah no it's quite good and and we've got um uh, obviously on instagram as well at teenage at uh, was teenage yeah i think it was teenage is yeah. a handle no there. no no i was a teenage fundamentalist on instagram and at was teenage because i i didn't really think that through when i set up the twitter account so <laughs> <laughs> so that's totally cool. We're on Twitter. Um, we're not on TikTok, unlike you guys. No, because we're, we're too fucking old to be too, on TikTok. We're, too we're, old. Exes. <laughs> we're exes. We're almost. We're, we're on the edge of boomers. Almost. No, we're not. TikTok. We're, that's we're, a clock, isn't it? You guys are you Gen Xers. It's okay. We're millennials. We <laughs> yeah, that's totally cool. So yeah, we're there. Um, we've also got a, a Reddit. Um, Ooh, yeah. got, we're on Reddit too. Yeah. yeah, we're on Reddit. Yeah, yeah. Not as active in Reddit, probably. I mean, Troy's more active in Reddit. Um, where else? Is that, that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so, not on. We're not on WeChat because the Chinese communists wouldn't have us. <laughs> no, no, it's, well, it's a true story. We're gonna have we, all the links in our show notes so people can go through and click and find you guys and listen that, and yeah, that'd be great. We've got a um a link tree in our show notes, which just has a just straight into all of our different socials and stuff. So Perfect. it's that an easy way Instagram to get into it. Too? Sorry, Rachel. Is that on your Instagram account too? Like in your the link yes, tree? It is. Yeah. It is. Cool. Yeah. yeah. She's she's gonna pull Love it from there. Yeah. <laughs> she said she said she said Instagram and Brian and I both went blank as like, huh? What? Insta what? <laughs> what? We had to be pushed that? onto Instagram. we we quite it? literally had to be pushed onto Instagram. Yeah, you guys yeah, weren't yeah. on Instagram for a while. You're just on Facebook and Reddit and yep. Twitter. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. All we, the we, old we, ones. Well, yeah. I'm not on anything ones. right now. I'm like 
I'm I'm ghost. So like I have accounts, but like I am not logged into them. So it's been a nice little breather. Yeah, it's nice to have a um a socials fast every now and then. Yes, we need Agreed. it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for doing the Lord's work with us today. This is, this is a great time. Alarms <laughs> work. Trigger, 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 trigger. Um, <laughs> no, but no, thanks, thanks for reaching out and thanks for coming on our podcast today. We really enjoyed talking. And thanks for you. having us on yours. And uh, guys, yeah. you can find the first part of this episode where Rachel and I dive deeper into our stories um, on their podcast. So if you have not listened to part one, go over to teenage. I was a teenage fundamentalist on anywhere you get your podcast to listen um, to part one of this Even episode. the shit ones. Even the okay. shit ones. <laughs> Why are you going to say it in a British accent? You could try I'm an sorry. Australian. Try an Australian accent. I'm not even going to try an Australian so accent. Cringy. With Australians, no, they'll totally judge me. I can't. No, you, sound like, you sound like you're from a Charles Dickens novel. <laughs> awesome. I am. I'm getting a bit cockney. Because we were raised totally on like... BBC and Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> oh, I still watch BBC. I love British humor. Me too. Like I said, I'm watching a Regency era, like BBC, well, it's HBO, but it's like BBC, but the Regency era mm, lesbian show about a real person. It's like Pride and Prejudice, but with lesbians. We love it. <laughs> you guys like Fleabag? I've watched Fleabag. I gotta yeah, get I into like Fleabag. I love Fleabag. Okay. Yeah, I've only seen anyway. season one. Season one, yes, but, um, but you but know not we're not gonna... English, right? You, you know, know we're not Australian. British, right? Yeah, cool. Because we, we we love Canada, right? You, you guys like Jim Carrey? We love Jim Carrey, duh. He's in a bunch of American movies, bruh. <laughs> I only referenced that because we were talking about BBC, but I'm not going to. Do you guys like Hugh Jackman? Yes, we like Hugh Jackman. Yeah, yeah. he's also in a lot of American movies. He is. He, he doesn't live far from us when he lives in Australia, actually. I, I, love, I love so many Americans, like Alanis Morissette, Michael J. Fox, Justin Bieber. <laughs> no, I, I love American. I love American stuff. It's you really like Drake good. Too? <laughs> I'm too old. I don't even know who that is. But okay. He's Canadian. Oh. He's older than Justin Bieber. Okay. You know what? On that note, y'all are too old for us. We got to go. <laughs> Cheers. Y'all are too Australian for us. We gotta go. Cheers to leaving, ladies. Cheers to leaving. All right. Yes. Cheers to fucking later. leaving. And on that note, we're going to leave. All right. Peace out. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cheers to Leaving. Sound and editing by Cameron Smith. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe and share with your friends and others who are deconstructing. Are you looking for a safe space to deconstruct and be in community with others who are also in the same process? Join our Facebook support group. Just answer the questions when you request to join. Be a part of the conversation, meet like-minded individuals, and get some support. Find the link in our show notes or search for Cheers to Leaving support group on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Cheers to Leaving. Email us at cheers to leaving at gmail.com with your stories about leaving evangelicalism. See you next week.